Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yo, what's up, everyone? This is Andre, and you're listening to the Tennis and Bagels podcast, not the Tennis podcast, as I almost made a mistake. I had to correct myself and kind of re-record the, uh, um, um, what's the name of it, the uh, the introduction last time. But yeah, this is the Tennis and, ba- and Bagels podcast, where I talk about tennis and just kind of like my opinions and uh, things that are going to happen and whatever. Um, normally I'd be talking about the tournament and how I've viewed players and like, I don't know how I perceive them and like my, my favorite matches of the week or whatever. Um, and, but since there's no tennis being played, there's no professional tennis right now. Um, what I've been doing is just kind of, um, doing lists and, uh, maybe doing fun facts and, uh, maybe in the future I'll actually like start doing more of those like um tennis fun facts tennis history tennis anything tennis related in that regard um because i actually really love this i'm kind of like a tennis geek i'm uh really do like to search for um facts and you know statistics and stuff like that i really enjoy that um but anyway in the in for now let's just stuck to the um uh, that let's just stick to whatever I was doing before. And I said I was going to do last week. I did um, uh, my favorite ATP active players. This week, I am going to do the my favorite um, WTA pl- players. So the my favorite um, female tennis players. Last week, the males. This week, the females. Now, next week, I'll probably do some WTA um, thing just so that I can, I don't know, just so that I don't... So I'm not um, favoring. Well, what, you, you get what I mean, right? I I I like those equally, and you'll see a lot of that, especially in this um, in this podcast. Like when I talk about my favorite um, players in the in the women's store. But I would just like to open with a thing that I forgot last time was that I didn't mention Nadal. I didn't mention Nadal in my previous list of the my favorite active ATP players. And uh, the reason why I didn't mention him is just essentially because he's not my favorite player at all. Like I don't, it's not, I, it's not that I hate him. I just never clicked with with him as a player. Like, you know, it's kind of like when you have uh, your favorite team or that you cheer for, um, you have a favorite player. Like mine just happens to be Djokovic. And I really um, had to come to terms with the fact that I really loved watching Federer as well. Nadal is a different case. Like I really like him. Um... But I like to see him mostly like when he plays um, Federer and Nadal or any player that has the caliber to challenge him. 
because that makes uh, makes some really really interesting matches. Nadal has a really unique style of play, so that kind of essentially almost always makes a contrast between players. Um, but um, I don't know. Yeah. So, but it's not necessarily that I'm cheering for him. I just essentially I'm just cheering to see to watch a good match. And normally when he plays Djokovic and Federer, I'm mostly on Federer's and Djokovic's side, not on Nadal's. And this actually happens to be most of the time. Like I'm most of the time I'm cheering not for Nadal. Just I don't even know why. It's just it's it's a pretty rational thing, you know, to be honest. There's really no no reason why I do that at all. But um yeah, that's not to say that uh, I hate him. That's not to say that I really want him to lose every single match that he plays. In fact, when in the first rounds of a tournament, I normally prefer that he wins because it means that um, players down the line are going to have... increases the chance of a big clash in the end of the tournament. So if that's not the case, um, if he loses, it creates a huge um, hole in the draw and it normally sucks. Like In the end, you can count that quarterfinals and semifinals are just going to be um, straight set victories. So that's lame and boring. So that's not what I want. So I normally want Nadal to reach the semis and finals of tournaments unless they meet Djokovic or Federer or some other player that I like um, in the quarters or semis. But that's another case. But anyways, and I do really respect all of his achievements. I really believe that he's one of the greatest of all time. I'm, I'm kind of... I hesitate to hesitate to say that he's um, above Djokovic, but they're probably up the same tier. Like if Federer is number one for me of all time, um, Nadal and Djokovic are almost equally in second place. <clears throat> but I don't know. I'm not the judge of anything. And to be perfectly honest, the debate of greatest of all time is is a little futile. Like it doesn't really lead to anything because we cannot really compare generations in that sense. So yeah, um, but. Continuing and moving on because today is all about the girls. It's about the female tennis players, the ones that are, um, work hard against um, all odds, and most of the time, a society that just wants to see them um, wearing bikinis and stuff. But no, that's um, because actually, what I'm saying right now is not not just to be politically correct. It's just is actually that I've um, actually read stuff. Um, from the WTA website, they've always been like really active in promoting women's sport, um, and obviously, especially tennis because that's where they're focusing on. That's the WTA is the Women Tennis Association. Um, I did read an article once that um, they some professional players, um, top fifty, top twenty, they were talking about um, pressure on the way they look because. Um, Athletes, they normally have very, very muscular bodies. They're very fit. Uh, and while some people do like that, it's some people find it's too masculine or whatever. And regardless of whether people like it or not, it's not the point. It's the point that there is pressure on how they look. And that's a thing. And I don't know. That's this is, it's a little bit of a parenthesis, like a bracket that I just opened, but it, it doesn't really relate to much but anyway um i'm going to really dedicate this episode to um all of the female athletes out there some of um some that i know um obviously not the professional ones but i do know some um women who are 
really great um athletes and you know props to you you're you're a great person so moving on this is my um this is my favorite um my top five favorite wta active players um and i'm gonna start this list right away uh and i'm not gonna do like i did last time i'm gonna uh there's no real bomb in here there's only um i don't know normal players there's no real nick curios um equivalent in the wta i don't think um so i'm just gonna move on from five to number one and my number five player um starting with karolina pliskova um Karolina Pliskova is a Czech tennis player. I forget how old is she, but she should be about 25 right now. Um, she has never won a Grand Slam, but she has been number one. That's actually quite a common thing, as I find. Well, obviously, if you compare with the men's, because there's not much else to compare in the world. is men's tour and women's tour. Like the, the women's tour is much more common that someone will become the world number one without winning a slam. And um, Karolina Pliskova fits that, fits the bill. Um, she um, has been a great promise for, promise for a long time now, like at least three to four years, I want to say, but probably a little bit less because like, I don't know, sometimes things get a little bit more confused, especially in those times with the coronavirus. Um, time just seems to stop or whatever. So it feels like it's been a year and it's been barely a month. So... Um, Karolina Pliskova has a great style of play. She is a power player. She hits the ball really hard from both uh, wings, from forehand and backhand. She hits it flat and powerful. Like I guess you could compare her to potentially the likes of Thomas Berdych and Juan Martin Del Potro. Um, and obviously Petra Kvitova. Um, so she... And she has easy power. She she just kind of like moves around the court and just hits the ball as if it was nothing and just kind of like it's like straight as an arrow. It's like it's 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 really impressive. It's really awesome to watch her playing. Um <clears throat> never got a chance to watch her live, unfortunately, but I'm assuming it must be even more um crazy. So um she um got to number one in 2017 i remember that and i was a little bit confused and so was she as i clearly remember because it was during wimbledon she lost before the second week of the tournament and she still rose to number one because um the ranking point point uh, pointage thing this the, the way it worked um she just rose to number one because that's how uh, at the end of that week, how they added up the points, um, she ended up being number one. And she got the news. She was like, news, and she was like, "Am I? I'm the number one? Like seriously? I just lost." And uh, but yeah, that's that's a thing. And which kind of makes me think that there is a way that the WTA. Um, now that I think about it, now that I was as I was doing this list, I was thinking maybe there is a significant difference in how. WTA awards points to um, per round in the um, in their tournaments, so that it may make it a little bit easier for players to move around the rankings and go up. And if they don't um, um, defend enough points, they can easily go down, which I think is 
quite difficult from the ATP tour, but I may be wrong. It's just that Djokovic and Federer and Nadal just keep winning and winning and winning. So if they were not there, maybe we would see just about the same thing. But I don't know. I think I I think I'm right just because of the the fact that there's a bunch of number ones that make it to number one without winning consistently bigger tournaments, you know? So yeah. Um she has uh two premier mandatories, which is the equivalent of uh I say this to myself, by the way. It's uh, the equivalent of um the ATP Masters one thousand, so it's the top tier of tournaments below the Grand Slam only. Um so it's it's a pretty big deal. She has gone to one single um uh Grand Slam final in the US Open. She lost to Angelique Kerber, who was on fire on their year, as I remember well, um, in three sets. She did, um, she, yeah, that's, that's how the match went. Um, I sadly couldn't watch that because it's, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to sometimes to just like stop whatever you're doing and just go and watch that. But regardless, um, she did not win the WTA finals um, tournament at the end of the year with the top eight players, but she did win an elite trophy. Trophy, which is uh, oh wait, never mind. She didn't win it. She went. To, she made the final of it. I gotta look at my notes more properly next time. So, um, she went to the elite final, which is a a tournament that's played between players ranked uh around eleven. Wait, no, nine to nineteen. So. Uh, and there's a wild card. I don't know how they choose the wild card. Maybe it's a Grand Slam win or something like that. Um, but this is a, a bigger tournament, and she she made it to the final of that. Uh, it happens a little bit before the WTA finals, and she lost to Venus Williams in the finals. So of that tournament. So that shows that she's a really really big player, really um, strong player. She can win the big tournaments, but she normally has a kind of like a, seems to have a little bit of a mental block when it comes to uh, uh, Grand Slams and doing well in them. She just, she just always seems to go to be so ready to play them and gets there and disappoints a little bit. So it's, it's unfortunate, but um, lots of player players end up like this uh, in both sides, ATP and WTA. And just a side note, the idea of the Elite Trophy is something that I really, really love because we do get to see the top eight players and they're really awesome and they're really good. But I find that um, with uh, the Elite Trophy, they put in essentially all of the rest of the top 10 below uh, between 9 and 19th. And I feel like this is also a really good opportunity to showcase their their talent as well and just pitch them together um, like against each other and because those are really good players too like uh, the top 20 is is an incredible achievement and those players are always um, really um, they're really intense they're really talented they uh, normally are winners of uh, multiple titles as well so it's it's a really good idea I feel like the ATP could also uh, do is that with a tournament like that I feel like it would be really um, interesting and extremely entertaining I would love to watch that like a lot there is a lot of players in the top 20 that I really like 
So, um, and lots, lots of players kind of like don't actually make it to the uh, top eight at the end of the year, but they are also all, they are all, most of them are top 10 material. So that kind of goes to show that it's, um, it, it would be a great idea. I would just love it. So, um, but I'm not here to talk about this, <laughs> but I was just signed up close, 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 close brackets. Boy, my, my tongue is, it's not working with my favor today. So anyway, moving to my number four in this list, I got Sophia Kennan, who goes by Sonia Kennan or just Sonia. <laughs> um, she is a Russian born American. Um, she was born in Moscow, but, uh, moved to, uh, the U S when she was little. And, um, she has a very interesting story in terms of, uh, if you, if you go look up, look for her, um, let's just look her up on online. And especially after her Australian open win this year, uh, you can find lots of, uh, articles that talk about her, lots of interviews. And she talks about her heritage as a Russian American player. Um, so yeah, it kind of hits close to home because I'm an immigrant as well. Uh, although I did immigrate a little bit later, I can relate to a lot of things that she said. Um, but in, in any case, um, oh, also, um, the no challenges remaining podcast with, uh, Ben Rothberg and oh gosh, I keep forgetting her name, Kathy, Kathy Nguyen, um, Courtney, Courtney Noyan. Oh my gosh, I keep forgetting. But they, they did an entire episode about her when she won the Australian Open. It was a really interesting listen for me. So um, more about Canon is that uh, last year she won three smaller ATP tournaments. So she was coming up um, strong and she was really showing that she could um, beat the best players and be competitive. She rose to number 14 or something like that, uh, by the end of last year. And, um, but she came up this year and just kind of, um, won the Australian open. She displayed like a great attitude on court. Um, very, very good fighting spirit. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's encouraging to see her playing. She's 21 and, um, uh, there's a lot of uh, very young players now in the in the WTA tour um, who are showing lots of promise, and it's really good that she already is such at such a young age. It just really does display the kind of like champion attitude that like people like to talk about the winning attitude, and um, I really like to watch her because not only she has a great game obviously she has a big serve she has a big forehand and etc etc he moves really she he she moves really well and um but she really has a, a certain type of energy on court she's so she seems so excited to be there she seems so focused on like being she she kind of like gives and gives herself entirely to that match you can totally see that it's it's entertaining to watch in a totally different way because she she um is very expressive she's very happy and very intense on on court so that really kind of like engages the audience i find for myself so that's one for me the biggest reason i like to to watch her because it's kind of like all of that together like the big game big um winning attitude plus um just awesome um personal behavior is personal attitude, personal like expressiveness, 
um, that I find is like really, really, really awesome for me to as a, as a spectator to watch to watch that. So yeah, um, there's a few um, cool stats about her is that she already beat Serena in the Grand Slam. Uh, she did that in Roland Garros last year. Granted, Roland Garros has never really been Serena Williams's um, best uh, Grand Slam, but she did win it a couple times. And she she's Serena Williams, and when she is on fire, or just pretty much any given day, she can she will beat the vast majority of players. Um, so that is an achievement, regardless if it was in the hardcore or in the grass court or in the clay court, which is this case. Um, she made back-to-back semifinals in two premier mandatories. I think those are two premier mandatories. I never really came across the list of all of them. Like, I should probably search them up um, soon. But anyway, um, the semifinals in uh, Toronto and Cincinnati, a tournaments that, are, that happen also back-to-back. So... Um, she went from, from uh, number 49 to 12 um, just last year. And this year she made her debut in the top 10 and the top 5 now. She's world number 4 uh, at this moment. Um, and last year, I feel like this is like probably the coolest fact about her is that she had the most hardcore wins. She had 38 uh, hardcore wins last year. That's, that's a lot of wins and that really shows how capable and consistent she is. So, yeah, I'm really excited to see more of her in the future. So, moving on to the number three in this list. But, wait, hold up. Yeah, no, I am, I'm making a little bit of a switch because I'm kind of like moving things around as I as I go. Um, not as I go, but like I, I made it <laughs> some mental notes to make changes, but I didn't in my notes, so... This is my number three favorite player in Naomi Osaka, um, the Japanese Haitian player who plays for Japan. Um, I guess it would make sense if she, since she's a wait, Haitian Japanese. Yeah, Haitian Japanese player. That's not Japanese Haitian. Otherwise, she'd be playing for Haiti. But she's identifies uh, with the Japanese more. So. Um, you can look all this up, by the way, on Wikipedia and on the internet. Like, I don't have exclusive access to any of this information. I just kind of compile it. So, um, all of this is mostly from Wikipedia and the WTA website and some other articles that I find online. So, um, back to Osaka. She is... So, Naomi Osaka is a younger player and, like... Most of uh, those here, I don't think I have a single player in their... In, yeah, I don't have a single player in their 30s. They're all in their um, 20s and mid-20s. So, um, Naomi Osaka is a powerful player as well. She is different from Pliskova and obviously Cannon in the way that she kind of reminds me of Serena Williams, which is not necessarily like easy power but like more like raw power it's kind of obviously she does make it look easy but she does um it's her style of play to kind of like be imposing almost like physically i think and um um she has a 
big, big serve, big forehand, big backhand uh, movement. This seems like a very um, consistent thing along uh, among the uh, younger generations um, nowadays, and especially in the WTA uh, side, is that they kind of like are the full package. They have everything, including the serve, which was a problem for the longest. Like Serena Williams came up with serving big, Serena and Venus and a couple others like Davenport. I think Graffy also had Graf Steffi Graf also had a big serve. But it wasn't really the norm. Like it's they had they were big servers, but everybody else just had a server to a serve to essentially put the ball back in play and try to build up the point from there. Like I remember lots of matches that I watched in the WTA tour. Uh, that um, essentially who held serve wasn't an advantage, not who broke. But nowadays I do see a big change towards um, holding serve and using the serve as really a big weapon. Doesn't It doesn't have to be aces all the time. It's just so that you can set up really nice, nicely or your next shot and just build the point up from there and not be on the defensive like right from the shot after the serve, which is a terrible place to be at, by the way. Um, Osaka. She um, she is already uh, twice a Grand Slam champion of two um, Grand Slams. Uh, the US Open and the Australian Open, which she won back-to-back in 2018 and 2019. Um, uh, she beat Serena Williams in the final of the US Open, which is... Very impressive, and she beat uh, Petra Kvitova in the final of the Australian Open, which is actually does show how how much of a game she has. She's not just kind of she just didn't just get there by luck, and she didn't just face um, like a player like ranked maybe outside the top fifty or something like that. She she did um, she is really showing how competent and consistent she is. Uh, and that's important because at age 23, when she won those, she was 22 and she was only 22, I think. Um, so that's it's really cool to see that um, from her right now. And um, uh, what do I have here? I do have so many stats. I feel like I'm just trying to figure out like which one is cooler to say. Um, uh, yeah, uh, another thing about Kvitova, whom uh, Osaka beat in Australian Open, is that she has two Wimbledon titles and she's made the finals of the final of the Australian Open, which she lost to Azarenka uh, a couple of years back, maybe 2011 or 12. Actually, I think it's 12. Um, so it it really shows how um, she's she's a big player. She, unfortunately, um, the match that she won against Williams in the US Open final was a bit, um, there was a little bit of uh, controversies and uh, uh, regarding um, just the chair empire and things like that around the course. Three Williams is not um, new to that. It's not, it doesn't seem to be rare for her to be um, involved in problems in the US Open. Happened to her with Clydesters and Stozer as well. And I don't know if it happened against Andrescu, but it, there might be, there might have been a problem with it like that as well. But in any case, um, she, I don't think because that diminishes uh, Osaka's uh, triumph in, in any way, um, because she still did beat um, Williams. And 
she beat Williams in her own game as well. She was hitting hard and serving hard and not being scared of uh, Williams's game and like in in any in any way or shape or form. So that's encouraging to see. And she's played some incredible matches as well. Um, she beat um, Andrescu in. Um, uh, man, I keep forgetting. I think it's. Uh, Uh, I want to say in in China. <laughs> um, I see here as it says in the court form. Well, I didn't see. I didn't. I didn't know uh, where did she um, beat Andrescu, but she did it somewhere in Asia, probably China. So, um, really great rivalries coming out of uh, those new players, and I kind of believe that she out of this list has the most talent to win more Grand Slams and to become number one for the longer, uh, for longest longest period, I think. <clears throat> because, just because of her attitude on and off court and how she approaches the game and like the weapons that she already possess um, in her arsenal. So I do think Naomi Osaka, if she can... Um, get some wins like maybe this year and the next um she really can start becoming more consistently a top three player and top five player probably at least um so we'll learn out she's currently sitting at number 10 in the world but i think she deserves to be way higher than that so um we'll see um the number number two in my list like i got confused sorry um the, yeah this is my list thing here i should have edited a little bit better but i didn't so in any case uh moving on to the second my second favorite player in this list being ashley barty the australian current world number one also 23 year old um a little fa- a little bit of a, f- uh, a few facts about ashley barty is that she uh won rolling arrows last year uh, she the player that she defeated wasn't necessarily anybody um, that uh, I don't want to say important, but not really like a in the top um, in the elite of the in the elite of the elite. She's not the top of the top player. She her name is Vondrasova, um, and she was ranked uh, number thirty eight back when she reached the final of Roland Garros, which she lost to Barty. And um, Barty, this year, she made the Australian Open semifinals, um, which she lost to Kennan in a very, very poor match, by the way. It wasn't, it wasn't very good. It was, um, they were really showing that they wanted the match, but they were just not playing well. Like Barty had two set points in both the sets that she lost to Kennan in her straight sets uh, defeat. But, um, yeah, it was just um, couldn't convert and couldn't capitalize on any of her advantages that she had. And Kenan also just kind of like wasn't really playing at her best. She she was just fighting. And at the end, that's what won the match was um, she probably fought a little harder and got luckier in some points here and there. It's the type of match that is decided by just a couple, uh, couple of points, right? So... 
And uh, Barty also won the WTA finals, not the elite one, but the one with the top eight players because she was already ranked world number one. So, and uh, it's cool thing about it is that she won it in her debut year. She had never qualified to the finals, to the WTA finals. And she, she just went in and won and she defeated Vitalina in the final, um, whom she hadn't defeated in five previous tries so she was 5-0 and against Vitalina and got her first victory against her in straight sets but she got close before right so uh, there was a match in Indian Wells or I think it was Indian Wells that she played it was pretty insane it was um, more than three hours long it's a match that is fully on YouTube if you want to watch it it's on the WTA page um, WTA uh, channel so yeah it's it's right there it's, um, I think it's it's worth watch um, so I think what is most interesting about Barty is her, like in terms of how, uh, she plays the game is how, um, crafty she is. And she really is kind of, for me, the definition of an all around player. Um, she has a great backhand slice. She also is not just a forehand and slice player. She does have a topspin double-handed backhand, which it works Great, she's great from the baseline, great um, top spin forehand, great defense, and she's unbelievable at the net as well. She is a really good doubles player. She has reached the finals in every single Grand Slam uh, in doubles, and she's won, I think, the US Open in uh, doubles as well. So she's just, she's she's the perfect feel game. She has a great feel in the game. And she really reminds me a lot of Roger Federer when she plays. Um, aside from the fact that she doesn't have a one-handed backhand, I think she has a lot of the qualities that Roger Federer has, including her attitude on court, which is um, very calm and composed, um, almost kind of um, ice cold in a sense. She doesn't really give out that many ex- um, emotions. Uh, except when it's a big point or when she wins matches. When she wins the match, she just really just lets it all out. So um, you can watch the highlights of her match against Vitalina on the WTA channel as well on YouTube. Um, it's like 11 minutes uh, long, her match in the WTA finals. It was, I think I can get like a really good highlight reel from there. So, which by the way, um, the WTA is a really good channel on YouTube. If you want to watch highlights and matches, they are really active, and I feel like they really good. They really post good content in there. So yeah, um, she. I feel like Barty is. If she can stay um, focused and she can uh, handle the pressure, which was um, the biggest thing in in her in her life in her career. If she can deal with all that, I feel like she can still be number one for a bit longer and she can win a couple more slams. Who knows if she's going to grow even more and become even stronger um, mentally and really start believing, not that she doesn't believe in herself, but believes that she is, she belongs with the greatest of all times. Like if she, if she gets to that point, I think she does have the game. Um, and um, I've already mentioned that um, she... Played uh, poorly against uh, Kennan. Um, things were hard for her in terms of pressure, um, like mental, like mental, emotional pressure during that match. It was in Australia, 
and apparently it was it was also really hot so that could explain why both players weren't as good um but um uh, she does have a a history of um not necessarily dealing very well with pressure she has had to take some time off of tennis and she wasn't really any like uh like an incredible player um before that she was a great doubles player but in singles she was okay at best um and she quit tennis to play cricket in australia for a year she uh, i think had two years off or something like that off of tennis and she's only 23 which is even more amazing if you think about it and she actually did super well in cricket and she wanted to like try out um um team competition teams competition for a little bit because uh pressure is different like you definitely have pressure but you have a whole lot of uh, other people around you and a team competition and not never only falls on one single person so that's um i think it's a pretty valid um point from her um and it seemed to have helped a lot she came back and became number one um Really cool stats from about uh, Ash Barty is that she went from outside the uh, top 300 uh, in the world to number 17 in one year. So she entered the year like it's at number 330 something and she finished the year number 17. And the next year um, she went from 15, not the next year, but like maybe two years later she went from 15 to number one. So that's a, an insane jump. She's just started winning like crazy. And um, even though she didn't get more um, Grand Slams, she did, as I mentioned, win Roland Garros final and the WTA finals. Um, she did, unfortunately this year, she couldn't manage to get the Australian Open, but she did get to the semifinals. So I think there's a lot of bodies still to be to be watched um, in the top of the game um, once this crisis is all over <laughs> and in the future as well. And to cap off my list, I I went quite biased here. In my last list, I was also really biased in the sense that obviously it's my favorite players, but um, I was biased in the sense that Djokovic is my favorite almost regardless. In this list, I'm going to have to say that my favorite is Bianca Andreescu, she's the Canadian player, the Canadian sensation that appeared last year. And her story is kind of almost like Ash Barty in a sense, except she didn't have the hiatus. And she is the youngest in this list and the youngest overall in both of my lists. Um, she's only 19 years old. She's already made such a huge impact in the game last year. And a lot of the things that she she did last year was essentially her first main year in the WTA tour. So not only was just a, it wasn't just a breakthrough year, it was the first year. So there is no better way to start your, your career for real than having the year that she had last year. She jumped from um, number 178 to number five um in the rankings in 2019 like from um week one to week 52 in the rankings that's where she was that's that's how much she jumped um and she won indian wells she won toronto and the u.s open those are her only three titles that she has today but like yeah like 
first year only she's 19 so much more to, to be seen from her um she oh my god there's just so much things to to talk about i guess uh, andrescu even though she has just had one year there's already so much to 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 dive into her career um it's interesting that she also beat Serena in the final of the U.S. Open. Um, I don't, I don't quite recall if there was a um, like any controversy in that match, but I remember um, tennis people in Canada that like tennis. They were just all so happy to see her winning because she is not only the um, first Canadian. I did get a, a quote from Wikipedia here. Uh, the US Open Andreescu beat Serena straight sets, becoming the first Canadian to win a Grand Slam singles title, the first woman to win the US Open in her main draw debut. She previously lost in a qualifying round. And the first player born after 2000 to win a Grand Slam tournament. So that is a lot to unpack in here. There's is, is a, uh, a lot of promise that Andreescu showed, and I really don't... I hope and I don't think it's just a, a fluke or a thing of the moment. I really think she actually n is nailing this and and she, that she's going to be a great player. I really like her style. She's fast. She's strong. She serves well. And her attitude is just out of this world how she has so much confidence in herself. She really believes that she can and will win every match that she enters. Um, she had last year um, a 17-match winning streak that ended in, at the hands of uh, um, Osaka, as I mentioned. She played already three times against um, Sofia Kennan, and she lost a match. She retired in another match, and then she won the last match that they played. And I don't know. Uh, the only th sad thing about her is that she has been having, dealing with a few injuries. Now she has dealt with injuries last year as well in the middle of the year leading up to Roland Garros. But um, this year she has having a lingering knee injury. And um, so just hope that she gets better soon. And But in any case, there is no real rush because a lot of tournaments are canceled and she kind of got a lot... got pretty lucky in that sense because um the rankings are frozen so she won't lose anything so this time is off time that she already had but she won't be affected in rankings at all so she's kind of like roger in that but she has time by her side which is uh great for her so um, it's just talking about those lists really makes me excited to uh start watching tennis again but um Best thing right now is for everybody to stay safe and to control this uh, this pandemic, this outbreak of the coronavirus. So, yeah, that's my list. Um, I hope you liked it. And uh, if you have your favorites, um, why not share it as well uh, on my Facebook page on, on the post that you will see this on. Share me like your favorite players for your favorite WTA players. And as well, your ATP players as well, because I didn't ask for you to share that in the last one. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's it for this episode. Um, it was long. I think it's the longest to date. So thanks for bearing with me. And uh, I'll see you next week. This is Andre, and this is Tennis and Bagels podcast. Bye-bye.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 